It seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests, strange superstitions, and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Hello, and welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services company. My name is Jess Guffey, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Kate Rooney. Hello, Kate. Hey, hey. Happy Christmas Eve. Well, this this episode will come out well after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of which, Kate, I had a big brain thought, like when I was lying awake at 3 a.m., because, you know, that's my jam. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's like we're talking to our future selves in this episode, <gasps> or like in all episodes, because they come out so much later. But like... Oh. We could say things that we won't remember because we forget everything that uh-huh. when we record it. And then we'll listen to it and be like, wow, what good advice that we're giving our future oh, selves. So, so let's, let's give our, our future selves <laughs> advice right now. What, what, would, what advice would you give to your fu- future self? Well, let's see. This episode is airing in January. I would say just get your work done. Stop being an idiot. Get your work done. Stop <laughs> procrastinating everything. Are you talking to me or to yourself? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> okay. Stop procrastinating. <laughs> That's my advice uh, to myself. Yeah. Say, future Kate, I hope you're drinking more water. If not, go grab another LaCroix <laughs> and uh, treat yourself. Treat yourself. Stay hydrated. Wow. And also make sure you clean out your lint trap in your dryer. That's not just for future Kate. That's for everyone listening to this. Yeah, it could catch fire. Huge, huge advocate of keeping <laughs> your house not that's Kate, in flames. That's Kate's platform. <laughs> clean out your <laughs> You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> She's starting a nonprofit for this very cause. <laughs> More details on that to come. I'm going to start getting like uh, those little rubber wristbands it just says <laughs> clean out your your lint trap you're gonna revive the live strong movement but it'll be like hashtag lint trap mm-hmm. safety <laughs> lint trap strong <laughs> so stupid <laughs> anywho <laughs> what terrible advice we're giving everyone right now hey no that's good advice okay. we're, we're saving lives all right well one podcast at a time we'll go with that so sure. uh you have a story for me or what I do. I do. And when we first started this podcast, Jess, I'm sure you might recall that we were super worried that we were covering too many musicians. Those were the the people we were just drawn to. And we, I mean, there's so many wildly creative musicians out there and they're fun stories. But now I'm worried that I'm covering just too many comedians and actors, specifically ones that have been on Saturday Night Live. <gasps> Uh, I just can't help myself. I'm not worried about this at all. I'm here for it. I'm excited. Good, good. Because today I am covering another legendary funny man, American's favorite sassy donkey, Eddie Murphy. Oh, my God. So this Mm. is now we're two for two with comedians that I've wanted to cover that you've beat me to. So props. 
Sorry. You, again, dripping with sarcasm over there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, no, I'm pumped. I'm, I mean, he's... I'm stoked for this. So influential. He's really carved the path for a lot of comedians and is kind of making a comeback right now. Totally. So um, pumped to cover this. So let's talk about Eddie Murphy and his wild, crazy life. I learned so much about him that I had no idea because I think a lot of it was kind of or I was blinded by my youth because yeah. <laughs> he was in so many like children's movies and just a lot of my favorite movies growing up. But I feel like his life is wild. I know. I'm very familiar with his work, but I'm not as familiar with like the behind the scenes Eddie Murphy stuff. So I'm excited for this. Well, you're in for it. Let's dive in. So Eddie Reagan Murphy was born on April 3rd, 1961 in Brooklyn, New York. And right off the bat, he definitely had a traumatic childhood. This was very shocking to find out about. I'm sure maybe a lot of people do know about this, but he and his brother, who you may know, Charlie Murphy, they grew up in the Bushwick Projects, which is historically one of the more dangerous parts of New York City. Yep. Yeah. And their parents split up when he was three, so they were super young. And just five years after that, so he's living with his his mom, but five years after that, his dad was murdered by the woman that he was dating. I couldn't find a lot of information about it but it seemed like it was a a crime of passion it was pretty brutal and then at the same time his his mom who's taking care of him became super sick with tuberculosis so not great not a great start they're still really young and no both eddie and charlie murphy were sent to live in foster care at this time which was not a great experience They, they were only in foster care for about a year but Uh, They were put in the care of a woman that Eddie called kind of a black Nazi. I know. In in a Rolling Stone article, Eddie said that the woman would beat Charlie, but not Eddie because he was too little. So they're already seeing abuse, and it was just not a a very healthy environment. So sorry to really start it out with uh, the story here, but we're going to turn things around a little bit. Okay. As with many of the folks that we cover, he turned to comedy to, to cope with all of this, specifically doing a lot of impressions. He, he would watch TV and just was really developing his skill for impressions. He loved to impersonate certain characters like Bugs Bunny, Bullwinkle the Moose, Sylvester the Cat, Sephir uh, and Succotash, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can you do that again? I no, I won't. <laughs> At one point, his mom said that he never even spoke in his own voice. He was always doing impersonations. I'm not surprised. I'm also not surprised by the fact that it's been stated that he was not a super dedicated student. Shocking. I know, but he was very bright, just didn't care so much about the schoolwork. And in fact, he excelled in a very popular game called Ranking, which is basically just trading witty insults with other students aka roasting they were just doing roasts back and forth but he was like the number one kid doing it (laughs) so added my notes here because i've been playing video games in this pandemic i know but in in the new assassin's creed valhalla there's like a mini game called flighting where you're basically doing that you're ranking you're doing that you're trading insults but it has to rhyme it's really fun i can see you being really good at that because you're very good at rhymes and poetry love it love to rhyme all the time wow 
not one of your best, but <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, and just in general, he loved having an audience. He even hosted a talent show at 15. He did an impersonation of Al Green. Everyone loved it. It was super popular at the time. And even at 15, he's so young, he started working on his comedy routines at this time and would perform stand-up at local bars and clubs. Just this little 15-year-old showing up and, and crushing it. He knew how to work the audience. He was super charismatic. Some serious chutzpah. For sure. And then, I mean, obviously, because he was so focused and dedicated to his craft, even at 15, his schoolwork suffered, as we know, and he did have to repeat the 10th grade. But he was dedicated. Like, he was hardworking, though. So he doubled up on classes. He attended summer and night school. And so he graduated only a couple months late. He still got through it. And, of course, was voted most popular in his graduating class. Again, not surprised. Uh-huh. Yeah, most popular. And declared, I declare, his career plan would be comedian. So he knew at 15 he wanted to be a comedian. He was already working on his craft and being successful. We've already talked about this several times, but I feel like it's something that I'll never get over when people pinpoint exactly what they're going to do and then they become so wildly successful at it. Like that's probably 0.0001% of the population that's actually able to do that. Like especially comedy. That's such a hard industry to break into, but he was clearly very dedicated to it. And he knew and everyone else knew that he had this exceptional talent for ranking, roasting each other, coming up with witty insults and being quick on his feet. Uh, A lot of like verbal acuity, just, I don't know, he's he's awesome. So after high school, he continues performing in local comedy clubs. Uh, He was also working like part-time, so he's, he's hustling. He's working nights, working on his routines, going to clubs. And he eventually worked his way up to more popular New York venues, such as the comic strip. Classic. He said multiple times his number one influence was of course the late great comedian Richard Pryor he drew a lot of inspiration from his observational humor and his quite unfiltered language as you may or may not know Jess a lot of Eddie's routines were very raunchy and just (laughs) completely profanity ridden yep and we'll continue to see that. So he, he drew a lot of that from Richard Pryor, who kind of had the same shtick, uh, and Eddie just kind of built off of that. However, he, he stayed away his entire life. He never drank alcohol. He never did any drugs. In fact, he told Barbara Walters in an interview, I don't have to sniff cocaine to make me funny. <laughs> very I mean, confident. Yeah, very, very confident, confident and very good for him. poignant, I think, because so many sure. comedians do struggle with that and like, what a way to set yourself apart, I guess. Especially in Saturday Night Live, we know that a lot of the talent there, they struggled with addiction. And yeah. it's kind of interesting that he was able to, to get through all of that without using anything. So speaking of Saturday Night Live, in 1980, Eddie Murphy found out that the producers of the show were seeking a black cast member for the, the upcoming season. And he jumped on the opportunity. He's like, I'm in. This is perfect for me. He's still, he's only 19 at this point, That's mind you. So he's crazy. so young. Yeah. When I was doing my research and I found out how young he was when he hit the scene, I was blown away. I had no I idea. I never knew that either. I mean, I yeah. feel like I knew that he has had years and years and years of his success, but I didn't realize it was starting when he was 15. Mm-hmm. So he auditions for Saturday Night Live six times. 
he wasn't getting on. They finally let him on as an extra. So he wasn't even a cast member. They just let him appear on the show sporadically throughout the season. Until one fateful night, the producers realized that they had four minutes of airtime, but they had no material lined up. And they just kind of like pushed Eddie in front of the camera and said, hey, just do a, do some stand-up for four minutes. Well, I don't know. We, we just need something here. Yeah. <laughs> do your thing. And he crushed it. He just got up there, did some stand-up on the fly. He improvised the whole performance. And in an article with Rolling Stone, they called it masterful. So just on the spot, he shows up and he just steals the show because he's so freaking talented. What a skill that is. I mean, I know. I know like we've joked about how we do better on the fly than with scripts or like with preparation half the time, but to be able to actually make an audience laugh and make people like respect you and have something cohesive come out of your brain. I mean, that's just a different level of talent right there. Yeah. No kidding. So because of this, he became one of the only two cast members asked to return for the next season. The other one being Joe Piscopo, our good pal. So as we know, he became Saturday Night Live's strongest comedic presence. He created just the most iconic characters like oh Mr. God. Robinson, who's just the, the urban version of Mr. Rogers. It's so good. So funny. <laughs> it's kind of dark, but just so awesome. Yep. He had uh, uh, Gumby, you know, I'm Gumby, damn it. <laughs> just angry Gumby. And of course, adult Buckwheat from Little Rascals, <laughs> which is probably one of the most popular characters in snl history yep did you see him uh, total side note but did you see him recently do all of these characters on snl uh-huh well we'll get to that okay. oh yes oh yes so <laughs> buckwheat was one of the most popular characters but over time because it was so popular eddie just got so sick of all of the fans demanding like do buckwheat do buckwheat yeah it just got really old and he was pissed about it so he decided that he wanted to retire the character, and they did so in a very dramatic way by assassinating him on camera <laughs> in, camera, <laughs> in front of 30 Rockefeller Plaza. And it was, I watched that video of when they did the assassination, and it's so funny because they make it seem like it's like breaking news. <laughs> and it's all okay. serious. They have interviewers come on, like famous actors being like, I didn't know what happened. He was just, he was Nikon the legend. <laughs> It was pretty dark, though. I mean, they they did two shots of it, and the first one they had, like, real, or not real blood, but they had, like, fake blood, and they did a second shot without the blood, and and they went with that one because it already looked too realistic, (laughs) and yeah. R.I.P. Buckwheat. I know. Uh, He also did a ton of impersonations, ranging from Bill Cosby to James Brown, And in another Rolling Stone article, Eddie was ranked second as the best cast member of all time, just behind John Belushi. They were were good friends, too. And his work on SNL was truly pivotal. I mean, when he joined, a bunch of the old cast members had just left. So the, the show was struggling. It was in a slump. But it's been widely recognized that when Eddie came, he basically saved the show. And in turn, it also gave him a huge jolt in exposure. Yeah. Jolt. Ooh. Ooh. You like that word? That's a good one, huh? I feel like that after my two cups of coffee right now. <laughs> Zing! <Zinger. laughs> well, this just zinged 
Eddie to stardom because after this, he, well, actually during this, he was still on the show, but then in 1982, he actually receives his first Grammy nomination for a live comedy album called Eddie Murphy, the Comedian, eventually went gold. And in the same year, he also lands his first major motion picture role alongside Nick Nolte in 48 Hours. Hmm. Have you seen this film? I haven't seen it. I know like the general premise, but I have not mm-hmm. seen it. Yeah, it's like a buddy cop action film. He was only 21 at this point. God, that's insane. That is insane. I know. What were you doing at 21, Kate? Nothing good. Drinking <laughs> <laughs> straight peppermint schnapps. Oh, you don't talk about that. Yes, we. I did. I was trying to just be a cool, fancy adult and like just drink peppermint schnapps at Christmas time. Bad idea. Don't never do a that. good idea. Schnapps is never a good idea. No. Uh, and while he was filming this, he had never had a serious role. I mean, this was, it was a comedy, but at sure. some points there's like action. He has to be serious, whatever. And he didn't know how to not be funny. So he, uh, used Bruce Lee as, as inspiration or reference, really leveraging his impersonation skills. He would just impersonate Bruce Lee, but it worked, uh, kind of as a reference point. Who would have thought? What a random... I know, but, but I mean, he didn't know like how to be an action star, yeah. so he just mimicked Bruce Lee, but it worked for the film. Makes and sense. It's again just pulling his. He's really good at impersonation, so it, it it worked. And this film, of course, was a critical and commercial success. He was nominated for a Golden Globe Award, and our pal Roger Ebert said that this film really <laughs> made him a star. Classic. You know, it's good when Roger Ebert says it's good. I know, right? I wonder which uh, which adjectives he used to <laughs> describe this in a more flowerful way. Jolt, perhaps. Um, I don't think flowerful is a word, so let's pretend <laughs> I didn't fruitful? say that. Fruitful? Sure. Ignore that doesn't us. fit. That's, that makes no sense <laughs> in this context. <laughs> now, 48 Hours also led to a, another huge milestone for Eddie Murphy as the only cast member to host Saturday Night Live while he's still on the show as Ooh, a cast member. Okay. Because in 1982, Nick Nolte was actually supposed to host, but he got sick and at the very last minute had to back out, but Eddie stepped in. And he famously kicked off the the episode with the line, live from New York, it's the Eddie Murphy show. <laughs> that was kind of like an iconic moment because, yeah, yeah he, was, he was still a cast member hosting the show, which had never happened before. And I don't know if it's happened. I can't think of then. an instance it has, but. Hmm. Sure. Fun facts. So, <laughs> fun. I have a lot of fun facts in here. The following year, he also stars in Trading Places yeah. with another fellow SNL alum, Dan Aykroyd. Classic. I also didn't know that this film was originally set to star Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Who knew? No way. Yeah. Another iconic uh, duo. Richard Pryor had to back out. I think there's some dark story behind that, but they replaced him with Eddie Murphy, and then it just kind of fit that uh, Dan Aykroyd would join him. Of course. And... This was the first of many collaborations he'd have with director John Landis, including Coming to America and Beverly Hills Cop 3, which uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about later, but that was not a great movie. Nope. But yeah, Trading Places was like an even bigger box office hit than 48 Hours. Huge success. And another fun fact about this film, it actually is a real life inspiration for a brand new regulation in financial markets. 
in in 2010, the Trading Commission said that we've recommended banning using misappropriated government information to trade in commodity markets. And this came to be known as the Eddie Murphy rule. What? Yeah. Because I took like the premise of the film and realized like, oh, wait, this is really shady. We should probably create a regulation around this. Now oh. it's known as the Eddie Murphy rule. That's so random. What is with people? We just talked about Howard Stern having his own bill. Like, what yeah, is, what is, it just shows how much celebrities influence real life. Right. Right. Well, here's another random fun fact for you. Trading Places is actually like a Christmas movie staple in Italy. <laughs> places the Italians so every, are into it. <laughs> yeah every year in italy it's almost like a, a christmas story in america you know how it's like that's always running on during christmas time trading places is always running on christmas and everyone stops to watch it i wonder <laughs> to watch eddie murphy. <laughs> i know so weird <laughs> so shortly after this and uh i wrote 1884, but that's not Whoa. correct. 1984. <laughs> uh, Eddie Murphy stars in an, another successful action comedy, Beverly Hills Cop. Classic. Love this another movie. Classic. It's such a classic. This was his first solo leading role. He plays the bad boy good cop, Axel Foley. He's kind of rough around the edges, but with a good heart. <laughs> another just, yep, makes sense. It turns out that Sylvester Stallone was originally meant to play his character Axel Foley but there's a little Hollywood legend that states that Sylvester Stallone bailed because of failed negotiations over what type of orange juice was to be kept in his trailer (laughs) (laughs) creatives am I right sly (laughs) he's like I demand blood orange and that's it this is not minute made (laughs) draw the line not fresh squeezed I was hoping for low pulp I was hoping for low to moderate, and you guys can't guarantee that. (laughs) I'm out. I'm out. And Eddie's like, I got this. I don't even care about your orange juice. Eddie's like, I'll take any pulp variety, you guys. Don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because he didn't care about the pulp variety, this film grossed over $230 in the box office. It was the highest grossing comedy of all time at this point. Wow. And the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. Only beaten out by The Hangover when that came out. Wow. Up until The Hangover, it was still the highest grossing R-rated film. I did not know that. And yeah. his. I mean, his performance was a huge hit with, with fans. He got another Golden Globe nomination. And uh, as with his other films, too, many of his lines were improvised in this film. It was reported that they had to do hundreds of, of retakes and hundreds of takes were ruined because everyone was laughing so hard at all the stuff that he ad-libbed. Oh my gosh. I want to see those bloopers. Right. And I love bloopers. Me too. I'm, I'm going through a lot of his huge hits right now because this was like the golden era of Eddie Murphy. The 80s were just, he was in fuego because another huge highlight of his career that came shortly after this was him starring in the comedy Coming to America. Yeah. Another super, super cult classic co-starring Arsenio Hall and they both I thought this so interesting both Eddie and Arsenio they play multiple characters in this film and just kind of like (laughs) demonstrate their versatility and we'll see that Eddie Murphy obviously does that in in other films this is another box office smash grossing more than 128 million in the US so because he was such a huge hit at this point Eddie Murphy is a huge star 
Starting to see some issues on set because of this. Oh, Eddie. I knew it was coming. Shocking. I know. I just he started than this. He started to really clash with the director, who's this is John Landis again. And Landis says in an interview, this is pretty rough. Get ready for it. He said, he was a pig. He was rude to people. Our personal relationship changed because he just felt that he was a superstar and that everyone had to kiss his ass. He was a jerk. But great. In fact, one of the greatest performances he's ever given. I hate this because I think we saw this with Madonna a little bit, too. When you get famous so young and you have so much success, not overnight, but I mean, his was a little bit of a slower burn. But he essentially just went from the projects to Mm -hmm. insane, insane fame. And like, how do you deal with that? I mean, I would be surprised if he wasn't being an asshole, to be honest. I'm not excusing it. I just feel like people don't know how to no, handle I, that. No, I, I think, I think you hit the, you hit, I was going to say you hit the nose on the head, but that's Boom. Boom. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, he's starting out at 15. He's doing shows. He's on Saturday Night Live at 19. And by 21, he's in his first huge movie hit. So... I, he did skyrocket to stardom, yeah. and your frontal it lobe be, isn't even fully developed yet. No, it's not. <laughs> Far from it. So I think he's just super young. Like you said, he came from the projects. He doesn't really know how to deal with all of this, and it, of course, it's going to go to your head. I mean, you're just like the number one comedian in the world by the time you're 21. Your frontal lobe is. Not quite there. And he probably had people telling him, like, we've talked about this too, but surrounded himself with people that are like, you're the best thing that's ever happened to the world. You're so funny and all that stuff. And like, Mm -hmm. if that's all you know, and that's all people are telling you, then you're probably going to start to believe it at some point and act as such. Well, even in that same quote, I mean, John Landis is saying that he was a pig and he was a jerk, but... He's also great, and that was one of the greatest performances ever. Like, it's it's both at the, in the same sentence. Yeah. So a lot of people know him for his Hollywood films, but his stage performances are next level, uh, full of just super sharp wit. Like I said before, a lot of profanity, observational humor. And he also had these two very, very, very famous live comedy specials, they're called Delirious and Raw. Delirious is the first one. He performs both of these famously in a leather suit. So that's kind of Ooh. like the iconic image of Eddie Murphy in his in his leather suit on stage. Sounds so uncomfy. It's about to get a lot more uncomfy. Oh, so God. buckle up, Jess. Not ready. So like I said, his first stand-up show was called Delirious. And this is in 1983. And it really shocked a lot of people because it was very different from his SNL performances. The use of profanity is next level. He uses the F word 230 (laughs) times and shit. Uh 230 times and he uses shit 171 times. Wow. I will say this. His performance is great. So good. But the content is bad. Real bad. Particularly just like what he's talking about. He opens the line with a very, very bad gay slur, which I'm not going to say. He has a lot of homophobic jokes and a lot of distasteful jokes about AIDS. Eddie. Yeah. I mean, not excusing anyone's behavior. He was, uh, what, 20, 21 at this time, too, maybe 22. 
His second stand-up film was Raw, and that's in 1987. And this still stands as one of the highest grossing comedy films of all time. And when I mean comedy films, I mean like stand-up comedy shows. His second one held the record for the most uses of the F word. Uh, it's not even something you s- want to hold a record for. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, but it beat out Scarface. <laughs> wow, that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. The, the tagline for this movie is, warning, you may be offended if you're black, white, male, female, rich, or poor, Bill Cosby, Mr. T, or Richard Pryor. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> In the special, at one point, he goes on a full profanity-filled uh, Bill Cosby impersonation. And allegedly, this came from an actual phone call he had with Bill Cosby, where Bill Cosby is telling him not to curse so much. Like, he's he's so bad because he curses all the time. Eddie and, and Bill definitely had beef throughout all of this, which is very interesting, right? Eddie never liked him, which I find quite interesting. Huh. And of course, Eddie definitely ignored this advice because it's like the most profane <laughs> stand-up show ever uh yeah so a lot of awful stuff a lot of like i said like homophobic stuff going on a lot of weird stuff towards women as well since then eddie murphy has expressed remorse for a lot of his older material okay in a 1996 publication he released a one-page statement apologizing saying i deeply regret any pain all of this has caused he added that he was very much uh, misinformed about AIDS. And in an interview in the New York Times in 2019, he says he cringes when he thinks of his old, ignorant material. Okay. We like to see growth. There's definitely growth. I mean, it's it's clear that he recognizes that he was very young and he's had a lot of reflection. He's matured. He has a big family now. He's a family man, which we'll also touch on that later. But I mean, despite all the controversy around this, Eddie Murphy Raw surpassed Richard Pryor's comedy special as the highest grossing concert film of all time. Wow. Grossing over 50 million. And both Delirious and Raw are pretty much widely regarded as two of the greatest stand-up specials of all time, even today. That's so interesting considering how much profanity and like stuff that he's apologized for. I know. Like I said, I mean... I think a part of it is just a sign of the times. It was in early 80s. Things were definitely different. Like I kind of said before, the content is bad, but his performance is spectacular. This man has incredible stage presence, like none other. He's so charismatic and his delivery is next level. His impersonations are always so spot on that people are just kind of enamored by that. Totally. Throw in a leather suit and man. Sure. Everyone's going to love that. Uh, even in his films and his stand-up, he comes in with a lot of confidence, which I think has really helped bolster his career. He's not really so much self-deprecating. He comes in, he just owns the stage, he commands the audience. For sure. And he's very quick with his words, which it's very masterful in, in his craft. I think a lot of people too, I mean, there's a reason people like that are famous. And I think the content comes second to being drawn to just that personality and that type of presence, because it's so rare to see that in someone that it's like what people say is the it factor, right? Like, yeah, you could say anything and people might not even hear what he said, but the way he delivers it is what matters and his presence. So I get it. He has a certain uh, je ne sais quoi, if you will. Oh, you fancy, huh? It's <laughs> just speechless. Uh, and with that, let's take a quick break. Let's do it. 
Who is the pickle's favorite artist? I don't know. It's Salvador Dilly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, okay, that that joke was the worst, but you know what's not the worst? Design Pickles Flat Rate Unlimited Creative Services. No, it is not the worst with Adobe source files included, brand profiles, unlimited users, smart designer match. We could go on and on all day. There's a reason why Design Pickles ranked on the Inc. 5000 two years in a row. And you know what else isn't the worst? If you're listening to this podcast, you get $100 off your first month of any plan if you use the code WORST at checkout. It's Woo! pretty nice. Yeah. Use checkout code WORST. It's W-O-R-S-T, all caps. And you can get $100 off uh, any plan. So Essentials, our pro plan, our custom illustrations plan. Start creating. It's awesome. And it's so fast. And we love it so much. And we're back. So you may or may not know that Eddie Murphy was not just an actor, an actor, <laughs> and com- comedian. Kate's goal of this episode is to be really fancy. <laughs> and he was not just an actor, he was also a singer. He was a singer. He even had some Whoa. hit singles. I think I knew that, but like just shove it back in my brain because it has no relevance to his other yeah. stuff. It's really kind of riding his wave of popularity in the mid-80s, and he released his first musical album called How Could It Be in 1985, <laughs> and this was produced by industry legend Rick James. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his the, the one of the singles off the album called Party All the Time, it peaked number two on the Billboard charts in, wow. in the mid-80s, and wow. there's a music video, which is actually pretty funny because it's basically just like rick james hamming it up and trying to make it all about him (laughs) and i just added this because uh there are two other songs in the album that one was called put your mouth on me and my personal favorite is called boogie in your butt (laughs) oh my god why do i feel like you would write a song titled that i maybe i have one written up you don't know that's true i don't have access to your vault He he also followed this album with another one called So Happy in 1989 and Love's All Right 1993. The latter was featured a collaboration with none other than Michael Jackson with a single called What's Up With You, which is spelled all in one word with a Z. (laughs) What's Up With with You. My mouth is Um, just hanging open right now. You look very perplexed. I'm trying to figure out the spelling of that as one word in my head. Yeah, he he was really good friends with Michael Jackson. They had a, a very lovely friendship. Interesting. He, Eddie Murphy appeared in Michael Jackson's music video, Remember the Time. Ah, you, yeah, okay. it's one where he's, it's like in Egypt or something like that. Oh God. Sure. Yeah. Whatever works. So, I mean, the 80s were just a great time for Eddie Murphy. But as we get into the 90s, uh, we go through a little bit of a roller coaster. (sighs) Things get pretty, pretty rough for our pal Eddie over here. Uh, It's hard to see a little bit of a decline in his popularity, especially after they did Beverly Hills Cop 3, which I mentioned before. It was a huge critical flop. Anytime you get to the number three in a series, it's just, unless you're Toy Story... Like, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a bit much. Uh, he's also criticized for not using his status to help other black actors break into film, which mm. I, uh, I saw that. That was stated by um, 
uh, gosh, I don't, it was another famous actor director, but it's not really supported in a lot of ways because a lot of his films he does uh, yeah. have a lot of other black actors who join him. Things turned around a little bit in 1996 with the hit The Nutty Professor. <laughs> I loved this movie as a kid. This is my—I I think I've seen this movie way more times than I care to admit. That doesn't surprise me in a weird way. My family—we would watch it all the time. But, you know, he plays seven characters in the film. He plays every member of the Clump family. <laughs> Clumps. They sit around the table. There's that famous farting scene where they're oh like <laughs> sitting around the din- dinner table doing like a farting contest. Yeah, it's a lot of like crude humor, but it kind of worked. It's not for everyone, but. It was definitely for 11-year-old Kate or whatever. (laughs) Oh, 11-year-old Kate. (laughs) Hercules, Hercules. I love it. Uh, This film was also awarded Best Makeup at the Oscars. Or they won an Oscar for Best Makeup. Because, yeah, he has all those prosthetics in. That many characters? I mean, Mm -hmm. I feel like he deserves some sort of award. (laughs) While young Kate was watching this film and loving it, I didn't know that he was in the news for a major scandal that broke this time. Okay, I'm going to tell this story to the best of my ability. I'm repeating a lot of it as it was written because a lot of it is not PC, but let's dive in. Please email us if I'm getting anything wrong, podcast at designpickle.com. But in 1997, police pulled him over at 4.30 in the morning after picking up a transgender sex worker along Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood. Now, this area was a well-known homosexual prostitution spot. So think about, like, this is after he's had his special where he was already criticized for using homosexual slurs and whatnot. So I found this to be really strange. Uh, But he walked away from it with a clean record, and he denied everything or not denying it but i mean he was caught he was caught with the the sex worker in his car but he tried to angle it as just being a good samaritan i was just trying to help someone out you know i always help people out when they're on the streets and i was just giving her a ride i had no idea that it was a man and all this stuff something smells a little fishy but continue uh huh well the sex worker uh, whose name is Shalimar had a very different story and spoke to National Enquirer, which paid for her bail in exchange for the story. <laughs> Trash. And she cl- Trash. <laughs> she claimed that she was out on the street looking for Johns when Eddie showed up and they had a full discussion about uh, the business interaction, which oh boy. I'm doing air quotes right now. <laughs> it was in a lot more detail about what was going on. Yep. Eddie Murphy sued National Enquirer and The Globe for libel, slander, and invasion of privacy. Wow. But wait, it gets worse. Oh, God. Almost a year after this whole debacle and after the arrest, Shalimar was found dead on a sidewalk wearing only lingerie, like right outside her apartment building. It was alleged that she was locked out of her fifth floor apartment and fell but there's also been a lot of conspiracy theories about it. Mostly conjecture. We really don't know. Oh, I don't love this. I don't yeah, love it the all was kind of, of like this. swept under the rug. And yeah, that happened. Mm, so I'm scratching my know. face it, so hard. <laughs> it was a lot of 
he said, she said, but then also I, I find it very hard to believe that it's like, oh, I just, I always cruise around and help people who are wandering around and need a ride. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. But do you, though, in an area that is known for its sex workers, you really just cruise through there and yeah. I don't know. It's... But the scandal does not just end here, Jess. Ugh. I mean, it's pretty, this isn't as scandalous, but it, it's widely known that he has 10 children. He's got a lot of kids with uh, yeah. a few different women. Lots of baby mamas. One, one such child required a DNA test because after he divorced his first wife, Nicole, he dated Spice Girl singer Mel B. <laughs> I was uh, forgetting about that. <laughs> I didn't know about that. I totally <laughs> forgot. Or I guess I just didn't know at all. This is in 2006. And she became pregnant. He totally denied being the father. But of course, they they did a DNA test and proved that he was, in fact, the father of Melby's baby, Angel. I wonder why he was so sure that he wasn't. Right? Like, it's not like they were, I'm guessing, this is just pure speculation, but I'm guessing they weren't celibate, so... You doubt it. Like, yeah. Oh, it's not my kid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How do you prove? Uh, once it was proven that he was the baby's father, he vowed to be a part of her life and was and, and whatnot. He definitely loves his whole brood of children. So despite all of these scandals, he went on to feature in just a ton of family films, <laughs> which probably a PR move, but it also kind of worked. Uh, can we talk about friggin' I can't think of his name right now. Mushu. Mushu. Ah, that's what I was just gonna say next. He was Mushu the Lizard in Mulan. I'm I sorry, dragon, movie. Kate. Mushu is a dragon, okay? Well, he thinks he's a dragon, but you have to get he's also <laughs> He's also in Doctor Doolittle. Have you seen that? Yes, of course. Oh my god, I was obsessed I mean, with that movie. It's full of animals, so of course we've seen that. Yeah, I thought I was Doctor Doolittle when I was little. Oh, that's so cute. Well, <laughs> Doctor Guffy Doolittle. And of course he plays the voice of Donkey in Shrek. All excellent Another choices, classic. honestly. Right? I mean it's not Mulan, a bad one there. Mulan wouldn't have been Mulan without Mushu as Shrek wouldn't have been Shrek without Donkey. So such a good sidekick. Kind of steals the show, and I think as he's such a big hit for children's films because of his vocal range mm-hmm. and the choices he makes, and he has this big personality which translates really well to animated kids' films. We actually just watched Shrek over Thanksgiving, and we were all dying laughing. Like you forget how much adult it's humor so good. is in mm-hmm. it because they came out in the early two thousands, like you said, and like. Benny disagrees with me apparently, but there's so much adult humor that both Mike Myers and Eddie insert in there, and it's just it's hilarious. Like we were belly laughing. Uh huh. So iconic, and uh, yeah, it's a great movie that you can watch and appreciate as an adult while your kids are sitting there and being dumb because they don't know what's really going. On. <laughs> You're calling children dumb. That's great. I obviously do not have children. Uh, probably shouldn't. <laughs> Shortly after this, he also starred in the wonderful motion picture version of the Broadway musical Dream Girls Mm -hmm. in 2006, where he plays the soul singer James Thunder Early. He did win a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor, and his performance was a highlight of this film. It was, oh man, this is such a good movie. Another one that I I think I did, I think I actually watched it on a plane, to be honest, but it was 
great great movie so so good that's like jennifer hudson's breakout role too Mm -hmm. oh yeah she's fantastic so after this he's kept a really relatively low profile in, in recent years but like i said kind of at the top of the episode we're starting to see an eddie murphy renaissance if you will a resurgence and particularly when he came out with the film in 2019 dolomite is my name which (laughs) came out on netflix and this is a a biographical comedy drama about filmmaker rudy ray moore who has his own character dolomite and it takes place in like the 1970s and rudy ray moore has created his own low budget black exploitation films of his character dolomite he's a crime fighting pimp and his catchphrase (laughs) is dolomite is my name and mother up is my game <laughs> oh my i'm gonna steal that <laughs> also love that uh the black exploitation term is coming back around from our quentin episode mm-hmm. bringing it full circle of course rudy ray moore is a real person and eddie murphy is a huge fan already a huge dolomite fan and grew yeah. up watching all of those films and listening to the records his brother charlie would show him the films when they were younger And as you may or may not know, Charlie Murphy, who was famous for his Chappelle show appearances, he passed away of of leukemia in in 2017. Oh, I actually didn't know Uh, that. Yeah, I I didn't get to put enough Charlie Murphy into this episode. I feel like he could have his own separate episode someday, honestly, because he's another fascinating person. But yeah, he passed away in 2017, and Dolomite is my name was dedicated to his memory. This film had super positive reviews. It was it was kind of viewed as Eddie Murphy's comeback. Yeah. It had more of that vulgar humor that he had in the 80s that he kind of hadn't done in 20 years because he's been doing all these kids films and kind of laid low for a while. But it, it has a good mix of the vulgar humor and the profanity with the balance with more like charm and mm. happiness and joy. And again, our pal Roger Ebert. He stated that there's that mischievous twinkle we've come to know and love Eddie for, but there's also a sweetness and vulnerability I haven't seen from Murphy since Lisa gave Prince Akeem back his earrings on the MTA and coming to America. Wow. See, no one writes it like Roger Ebert. I know. But he passed away before this review, I think. His website still exists, so people write on his behalf on his website. Okay, so fact check. Roger Ebert did not say that, but it was said on his website. But it's still... <laughs> I love, I love the... You're so sad. I'm so sad right Sorry. now. How am I going to finish this episode with this news? Eight years later. I'm not okay. <laughs> but I love the sentiment of this. Is there's yes. that, that if that doesn't say Eddie Murphy, that mischievous twinkle That's uh, such a good in his eyes, but also kind of a sweetness and vulnerability. And at the same time, while he's promoting this film, there were rumors that he was planning to come back and do stand-up comedy, and he confirmed that that he was going to come back and do a stand-up comedy special in 2020. But as we know. Something else went on in the world that prevented him from doing that. Good old COVID. <sighs> yes. But also in 2019, it was announced that he and the original cast would be reprising their roles in uh, Coming to America, the sequel, Coming to America, with the number two in it. But that should be coming out in March 2021. 
pending yeah. the pandemic. We'll see. And then in December 2019, this is when he returned to host Saturday Night Live after 35 years. Uh, he comes back. And so good. This, oh man, we watched this recently. Even before I decided to cover Eddie Murphy, we watched this yeah. just uh, like a couple weeks ago. And wow, it is one of my favorite SNL episodes of all time. It is fantastic. My mom and I watched it like right after it came out and it aired and we were in stitches. It was so well done and just mm-hmm. every aspect of it is so quintessential Eddie and like you love to see it. You love, you love to, to see, see it. it. Of course it received overwhelming acclaim and was the highest watch episode since Tina Fey played Sarah Palin in 2008. And as you may recall, comedians Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Tracy Morgan, and Kenan Thompson all joined him on stage for the opening monologue. It's just yep. so many good feels. Uh, he reprised all of his most popular characters like Mr. Robinson. Gumby shows up. Even Buckwheat, who was assassinated back in the day, <laughs> Came back comes from the back. Dead. Yeah, he he won his first ever Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series for hosting this episode. Love it. While we were watching this, because it was, again, just a couple weeks ago, I had a very existential moment. <laughs> at the the closing credits, everyone's on stage and they're all happy and joyful. It's such a, like, they knew that they nailed the episode and it was so good. And everyone's just so, you know, like, this is the end of... 2019 we're so excited for 2020 and it's like oh man we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into any clue what was happening or about to happen it's kind of an interesting way to like bookend i mean he's still coming back like he's going to do the sequel to coming to america he's working on that and he is still planning on doing more stand-up it's just we're kind of like waiting but i thought like his return to saturday night live was just like the big comeback and yep. um, so well done. And so it's it's really hard to even express how much of an impact Eddie Murphy made in the 80s. He's truly the master of profanity, quick wits. Of course, he's had just a slew of, of accolades and honors. And in 2015, he was awarded the Mark Twain Award for American Humor. His mentor, Richard Pryor, was the first to win the award in 1998. So it's kind of coming full circle. Love that. Quick, quick sidebar about the award ceremony. When he got on stage to accept the award, he roasted Bill Cosby so hard. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. at this point, this is when everything had already come yep. out about yeah the, his scandals. And- I mean, maybe Eddie had a weird feeling about him back in the day. Like maybe he was smarter than everyone else and just saw right through it, you yeah. know? Who knows? Even in the SNL, I think it's in the monologue, he says something about like, how I'm actually American's dad now, like he knew all along. Yep. And in a recent episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Seinfeld, Eddie appears on the show and he talks about his relationship with Bill Cosby. And he states that he had a weird thing with me that he didn't have with other comics. And it was mean. Like they just clash. They did not like each other. Interesting. That episode's in my queue, actually. So it's funny you're covering oh. him today. Yeah. So on top of all these awards, I mean, he's ranked number 10 on America Central's list of top 100 greatest stand-ups of all time. He's number 25 on Rolling Stone's list of 50 best stand-up comics of all time. 
And some of our favorite comedians, like Russell Brand, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, they've all have stated that they've been like hugely influenced by Eddie Murphy yeah. and his stand-up style. Chris Rock said at one point, when I was young, I didn't think comedy was a job. Then I saw Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live, and it changed everything. Not only could comedy be a job, but it could be a career. Wow. So a huge legacy he's created, not without some scandals, of course, uh, but we're really starting to see his resurgence, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in upcoming years. Yeah. So with that, Jess, I leave you with one very important question. This is going to be a tough one. Uh. <laughs> is Eddie Murphy the worst? I know people might get mad at us, or me, rather, for saying he's not the worst. Or he is, yeah, wait, what? Wait, <laughs> he's what? not the worst. But I genuinely don't think he is the worst. I think he probably made some bad, bad decisions, and there's no losing sight of that. Not a fan of the whole, like sex worker debacle probably some shady stuff happened that we don't even know the full truth about not a fan of that but i think that his influence on pop culture and film and comedy and just it is so much deeper than anything that the scandal could outweigh i think and i'm having a really hard time saying he's the worst i know it's but it i'm sure you feel the same way it's like not the best <laughs> because yeah. some of the stuff he did was really awful. But like we said before, I think a lot of it could be attributed to the fact that it was different time and he was so young. Mm -hmm. He was skyrocketed to fame at such a young age and that messes with people, man, that can really screw you up. Yeah. And he didn't have the easiest childhood and that's no, I mean, that's yeah, not I about that. It's he just... didn't have parents growing up and, he and his brother were abused by this woman while they were in foster care. And then right. it was like a couple years after that, that he's like on stage and like with Richard Pryor. So right. how do you even have time to reconcile that? I hope he has gone through a lot of therapy and it's interesting <laughs> and good to see that he's openly stated that not only is he sorry for what he's, he said in his older material, but it, it makes him just feel awful like he yeah. has so much regret about it and he hates that he's hurt other people the whole scandal with the prostitution stuff like that also just makes you wonder like what is going on there like is there right. some repression or like i don't know but nothing else has really come out after that so either he has a really good pr team or just genuinely was kind of a fluke in some way maybe yeah, i don't know I think maybe we'll find out someday. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it, the truth might come out, but I think the phrase that keeps coming to mind for his earlier stuff too, and being such an ass on set is hurt people, hurt people. And yeah. because he was so young, he probably had never really had a chance to deal with the abuse and the trauma of losing his dad, his mom on the set, you know? And I think mm -hmm. again, not excusing the behavior because you should never be a dickwad. But <laughs> I think, <laughs> I don't need to be bleeped. But I think that, you know, you have to keep that in perspective. And the fact that he has apologized, no one forced him to apologize 20 years later. So I think mm -hmm. the fact that he went out of his way to do it says a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think he's the worst. No. And hey, if anything, we got Shrek out of it. <laughs> if nothing else. If, if nothing, nothing else, else. We have Donkey. Great job. Also has a lot of sequels. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. Well, 
Should we go celebrate Christmas or something now? <laughs> I guess. I guess. If you feel like we let him off too easy or you have varying opinions on Mr. Murphy himself, please let us know at podcast.designpickle.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, this is all of our opinion and we just do research based on what we find on the interwebs. So if you have conflicting information or would like to weigh in on some facts that you know, please let us know as well. Yeah, Jess is actually my lawyer. So <laughs> I forgot to mention that at the top. This is, of course, all of our, our opinions. But thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, give us a review if you're liking what you're hearing. And with that, we'll be back next week to find out who is the worst or are creatives the worst. Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing, or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com. And a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs>